you know by now that the dogs in my house wear Paco collars, and the newest addition is Stig's tan leather collar with brass fittings and turquoise stones. It seriously looks like the bay we bought our house on, and his smooth coat and long neck show it off perfectly. We picked it out in person at Paco's booth, and the staff helped us to be sure we got the exact fit and style that was right for him. I catch myself mesmerized by this collar when I walk him. How crazy is that? So get over to PacoCollars.com and grab a collar you'll be obsessed with, and don't forget to use the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service, and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education, and you'll have indefinite access to the materials, so sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. You all know how excited I am about Worked Up Camp, and I hope you're excited too. Working spots are full, but... We've still got plenty of room for auditors. The camp is in Port Orchard, Washington, and it is September 28th through September 30th. It's going to be a ton of fun, lots of learning, really great community, and I can't wait. So hop over on the both the CogDog Radio and the Cognitive Canine Facebook pages have information on camp, and you can always join the camp event page. Just search for Worked Up Camp, and you'll find it, and you can get all the details there as well. So I hope to see you at camp. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. friends i'm here today with my friend friend of the podcast editor of the podcast friend caster friend caster <laughs> casey coughlin of inspiration canine hello everyone of windsor connecticut and surrounding areas yeah, central connecticut central connecticut and we're just gonna do a rapid fire q a here because we've got a ton of questions on the Facebook page. So first one is, um, how do we prevent, this is from Amy Blankenship, how to prevent hoovering on decompression walks, meaning if the dog eats everything. And we just had a discussion about this because we just went on an off-leash walk with five dogs Mm -hmm. who proceeded to find a decaying item something and all had a rib bone or three of we hope what was a deer or something sure at some point anyway and we talked about it and the answer is um i don't really worry about it i guess call your dogs don't worry about it train them to spit stuff out on cue yeah that should be trained with positive reinforcement should be trained with food cookies 
Um, our friend Amy, who was on the walk as well, her dog is better trained than any of mine, and she said, drop it, and the dog literally spit it out and came running. Yep. I just did a recall, and my dogs spit it out and came running. Yep. And it was really okay, so the answer is training. Keep really. moving. The answer is keep moving and be able to call them, which is vital for a decompression walk anyway, don't you think? Of course. Okay. And if it's going to end their life of a food allergy or something like that, then they need to wear something. They that should probably them. wear a muzzle then that that prevents them from eating stuff, which a your muzzle. standard Baskerville, which is usually what I use, does not do. Well, it makes it slow. It makes slower. it harder for them to eat, but um, the Boomis makes a really sp- what about specific that? muzzle. The net. That screen. We could go there, too. Yeah. yeah. What's that called? I don't know. So let me talk about Boomis, because I know what that's <laughs> called. So there's a Boomis muzzle <laughs> that has, um, it's specifically designed, there's one that's specifically designed for dogs that don't bite stuff, but they eat stuff. So that's one way that you could go. And the other one is like, it's like a grass on net that prevents the dog. You put it over their head. We're finding it. You're not finding it. Put. <laughs> Outfox? Yes, it's the Outfox. Yeah. I'm fine. Outfox it. Field Guard. Yes. Looks like your dog is just a hound it of the look, apocalypse. No. It and looks like a fly come. mask, like for a horse. It looks yeah. like a fly mask. It looks like a fly mask for horses. It keeps them from getting foxtails in their head, but also they can't eat stuff when they're wearing it. So you always, with anything, you always go training or you go management. Yep. Those are your two choices. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you go management while you work on training. Also, dogs are meant to eat all of those things, so you don't really need to panic about Most it. Most of the dogs are going to be 100% fine eating random crap on walks. Yep. My dogs eat all kinds of things, and in the case of Iggy, like to roll on things and just cover themselves with decaying items. All right. So, I like this question from Terry Henning. Thoughts on decompression walks on a long line and a harness with a dog who insists on being at the end of the line pulling all the way no matter how long the line. And she goes on to say, it doesn't seem very decompressing for the dog or the human. And that's true. That's not decompressing for anyone. But speaking from experience, I do have a dog that does this. If you walk them long enough, they stop. stop. Or just let it be punishing enough for you that... You unclip the line. You drop the line. <laughs> but if you're going to hold on to that line, which is fine. Yes. Walk them until they stop, and then walk them that length of time again. So typically with the dog I'm talking about, if I walk her for two hours, the last 90 minutes to hour will be peaceful for us. But I had to just kind of... Work it out. Keep doing it. Wear gloves. Wear gloves. Wear good shoes. The biothane lines that I use are also less burny than the nylon. That too. All those things. All those things. Yeah, just keep going. That's the key. To keep going and to... Keep moving. Move as long as possible. Take the novelty out of your walks. 
All right, so many good questions here. John Ingstrom, hello, John, says, how to best deal with training and a bitch in season when their behavior alters dramatically? Lack of focus, lack of confidence, even in things that have been trained before. Take an approximately six-week break until things return to normal or continue to train without expectations of accomplishing anything in hopes that some of it will stick some, or something else. And to be honest, I haven't experienced this to this level, but I have clients and friends who have, and I have certainly seen changes in behavior um, when I've had bitches in season, but not to this extent. Iggy... 100% of the time was always fully capable in season, which is why she stayed intact till she was nine years old. I mean, she just, it wasn't a problem. Um, Ghost barely comes into season. It's about once every 16 months or 18 months, and it's not a big deal when it happens. Um, but I do have another client whose dog, her behavior changes pretty dramatically. So I have a couple of different pieces and Casey, have you ever had an intact bitch? I nope. don't think you have. So this is, Casey's sitting this one out. I'm sitting it out. Um, although I do want to hear your thoughts on if you have any other thoughts. But to me, I would just give them that time. If they need six weeks, that is a bummer. But it could happen. Um, most of them don't need that much time if you give them kind of the appropriate amount of time when they need it. It might all, it might just string it out if you're not giving them enough time. Um, but also I had a client who had a female Samoyed who had really, really rough heat cycles and she would not be able to work and she would have false pregnancies that were bad and she would chew her tail and it was terrible. And when they finally spayed her when she was like six or seven, they found out that she had ovarian cysts. Mm. And so probably the heat cycles were really painful Painful. and uncomfortable for her. So if it's a big problem, John, I would actually have an abdominal ultrasound done because it's not super normal for it to be a huge problem, especially in a working breed, which I know you have. So, and you can talk to your breeder as well and find out if her mom was like that or her sisters are like that. It's important to know, but you might do an abdominal ultrasound to just make sure that it's not because there's something that's drastically uncomfortable. And then if all of that checks out, I would just give her the time that she needs. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of training anytime we're not going to get 100%. If you're not going to get 100% out of me, I sit the training session out. So if I've had a crappy day or if I don't feel good, I'm not going to train. Um, or if the dog doesn't feel good for whatever reason, even if it's a normal reason, like a heat cycle, I would sit it out. Any thoughts on that, Coughlin? No, but yes. No, but yes? I agree with that, okay, but great. I don't have any. Okay. I will in 18 months. You will. <laughs> Some of these questions are going into a multi-dog household podcast that's coming out soon, so I'm skipping some of them. Barbara Scanlon, um, all right, what to do when you feel you've honestly tried everything, worked a plan, tried to work smarter and with the dog's needs in mind and still no significant progress? What are your initial thoughts on that, Casey? Look at behavioral wellness, 
that might not be getting uh, your dog, your specific dog might be a little bit outside of the realm of like normal formula for behavioral wellness. Can you say more on that? Yeah, like we think it's really easy, right? Like decompression walk, some sort of enrichment, good food, be good nice, life. Be nice to them. Right, exactly. Done-so. But it's not always that simple. It's not always that simple. And sometimes things are really over arousing for some dogs that we think are normal. So like decompression walk could not, but again, comes back to always like that observe and respond mantra of like, just do an activity and then see what happens because of it. You know, try something and then retest, like always focus on asking questions during training instead of looking for a Looking for answers. Yeah. Yeah. Keep asking the question. Keep dropping the toy. Keep trying to feed. Keep getting information how you can get it. And then see what your actual answers are, which you might be surprised about what they are. And also, if you're talking about a specific behavior that you're trying to modify, keep in mind that the length of time that this received reinforcement. So let's say it's just... I'm just going to pick a behavior problem, barking at the front window in the house when people walk by. If your dog has been doing that for five years, and for five years it's been reinforced whether you think it has or not because it wouldn't be happening if it weren't. And in most of the most of those situations, it's reinforced because whomever is walking in front of your house keeps walking, so they go away. Yep. Um, if that's been reinforced for five years... You're not fixing you that quickly. You can fully expect it to take a long time to fix. Technically, it's not about years, but it's about number of reinforcements. So let's say the dog was reinforced 5,000 times for barking at the front door. It will take 5,001 times <laughs> to at start least making progress. to start making progress. So think about it like that. If it's been going on for a very long time, it is going to take a long time to fix. And so it all comes back to, are you keeping data on what you're doing? Because it's very possible that you are seeing changes, but those changes are so microscopic or so incremental that you're not seeing them at all. So unless you're keeping data, you won't know if they're happening or not. Also, don't be afraid to go out beyond your normal dog community to find answers. Mm. So don't just try, you know, maybe you've tried the three main dog trainers in your area, but just elevate who you're looking for. Yeah. Or maybe you've tried an online trainer. Maybe you've worked in some of my classes or maybe a colleague's class, but it's still not working out. Reach outside the box. Think further. There's always more. Elevate. There's always more. And when all else fails, there's always drugs. Exactly. I mean, I'm That's a huge fan. Like, huge fan of drugs. Just seek out a veterinary behavior. Depending and talk on about drugs. what your Obviously, thing is, I know, right? Don't sedate them into oblivion. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. But I am saying that they pharmaceuticals help. can help us yeah. see progress where we might not otherwise see see progress. Let's see. You can answer that. What? Yeah, so Tina Davies. Hey, Tina. Um, she'd like to hear more on our thoughts on appropriate social interactions. So I'm assuming this is between dogs and dogs. Mm. 
So when to let them get on with it and when to intervene. I try not to intervene. As if everybody's kind of safe in an environment where we're safe. Um, if I think things are escalating to an unsafe place, that's when I intervene. But not before that. If I think that um, one of the dogs is being beat up, bullied, or traumatized, then I will intervene. But those are extreme times. I mostly like dogs to do the talking with each other. I don't love a ton of intervention. What do you think? Yeah, and just manage it so that they can't hurt each other. Right. Basket muzzles. Basket muzzles. Wonderful place to start so they can't hurt each other so I'm just going to talk about an example that's very relevant right now Casey and I are both staying with our friend Amy right now um I have my two dogs here and Amy's got three dogs and her boy dog and my boy dog have a thing meaning her boy dog would really like to be best friends with my boy dog would love to be and my boy dog really is like you're huge you're intimidating you scare me a little and yeah. not sure we can be friends so the first off-leash walk we went on with the two boys my boy was in a basket muzzle because he's the most afraid um and it it went okay there were definitely little moments where the German Shepherd, which is my friend's dog, was being a little too much. Yep. But it was actually still better to let them ride it out and talk it out than to intervene. Because the more the German Shepherd gets human intervention, the more annoying he is. Because then that behavior is kind of reinforced for him. So, but today, so over the course of several walks together. Yep, three walks now. Three, today was the third walk. Mm -hmm. They played. Genuinely played. Felix actually did play with my French German Shepherd with no muzzle on. Yep. And then the German Shepherd went to mount him and then he said, oh, I knew it. I knew you were scary. I don't like <laughs> you. But they recovered really nicely. Yeah. So we gave them enough time and we didn't micromanage or hover. And truthfully, it takes experience and it takes just breathing it out to be able to sit back and let them work it out. I used to be pretty paranoid about dog-dog interactions because I had a very dog-aggressive dog. Um, but that paranoia did not serve me or my dogs. Yeah. Yeah, just be smart and keep walking. Like, really the most important thing is that both dogs had this environment to explore that made it so they were all kind of doing activities around each other. Yes. But they didn't need each other there, so they weren't just locked in a yard together. They were exploring, looking at right. new things, smelling things. They Which I talk off. about all the time, like for puppy kindergarten, that the environment should not be this sterile room, which puppy kindergarten rooms usually are. It should be full of its own enrichment so that the puppies are experiencing the environment amongst each other, not yeah. experiencing each other amongst the environment. Yep. So that's what we did. And then everyone that was showing, like, every good behavior was getting, or every wanted behavior was getting paid. 
yeah, I was marking and reinforcing Felix for all of his good choices yeah. around that dog. He's doing great. I'm really proud of him. Let's see. Um, Samantha Meyer wants to know about CBD in anxious dogs, and I am not a veterinarian or a nutritionist, so I'm not going to make specific recommendations in using CBD, but I'm going to give you my anecdotal experience, which has been very positive. Um, I use a CBD and green-lipped muscle combo supplement for my two dogs, and then... I used a CBD immune support supplement on Stiggy recently and very positive experiences. I've seen a a reduction in Iggy's sound sensitivity on the CBD, a visible and noticeable reduction. I used to have to give her trazodone at the first sight of fireworks, thunder, whatever. And now she can actually ride it out a little bit and I don't have to drug her unless it's going to be a big event of a lot of fireworks or a big storm. So that's my anecdotal experience. Um, I'm using a company called Super Snouts for that, based on a recommendation from a friend in Dallas. So if you're in the United States, Super Snouts would be who I'd recommend. I'm really, um, so far, getting good results from that stuff. Can you guys get that stuff in Connecticut readily? Yes. Because it's CBD, not THC? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you should also be able to get it. Anywhere in the continental continental U.S., you should be able to get super snouts. But a lot of places just have over-the-counter. I think what's important is to make sure that it is um, United States sourced, This the actual plant. Um... But my so my experience has been positive, and I've got a couple of family aging family dogs too have been on it for arthritis pain, and it's been really helpful for them as well. Okay, so a little more complicated question. We'll probably end on this one. Um, Christine McPhee says, "I have a question about consent. How is the dog giving us consent to do something?" Training, entering the training area by sitting and giving eye contact, different from the dog asking for our consent, i.e. to go through a door or cross the threshold by offering the same behavior. Many of us have taught our dogs to essentially ask for our consent to cross the threshold by using these same behaviors. Does this muddy the water for the dog when we want to flip the situation and use them as a way to getting their consent, or am I just overthinking this? You want to start? You want me to? You can start. So... I think, Christine, that you have confused two concepts a little bit. So when I train the dog to ask, when I train the dog to consent to an activity, that's about something I'm asking the dog if they would like to do. It is different for them to, to say, yes, I'm ready to do XYZ activity versus for them to say, I know that me sitting at this doorway Will earn reinforcement. Will earn reinforcement. So if I sit at this doorway, you'll let me out the door. Is different in my mind. Yeah. From me saying, hey, do you want agility? And to do agility and the dog says yes. How is it different though? The start of it is different. 
the start the of it's different. The cue is different, right? So there's dog initiated. There's dog saying, I want this. And then there's human saying, I want this. Do you want the same thing? Do you feel like that's the difference? I feel like the fact is that we can only be guessing about what our dog is actually trying to produce. Yep. And so, like, for example, if I go out my back door and Oni picks up a toy and then runs to the agility area, I don't actually know that he wants to play agility. I know that he pretty much wants me to play with the toy. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you could even say, okay, he's asking me for agility. That's different from you saying, do you want to do this thing together? A hundred percent. Right. So maybe it's like this. Um, You clearly trained some great alternative behaviors. Right. Aside from, you know. Pounding at the door. Annoying ways of inciting reinforcement. It's almost like there's a difference between me saying, Casey, make me a sandwich. Or saying, <laughs> or saying, it's like the empty Casey, glass would of you wine. like to go to dinner with me? It's the empty glass right? of wine analogy. Tell them the empty glass of wine analogy. I know it's mine, but you brought it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. If I have, if you are in my kitchen and I take out a wine glass and put it on the counter and slide it towards you and there's empty bar stool in front of you, you're giving consent to having some wine. It's kind of like unspoken because I'm just sliding the wine glass towards you and then you can come forward mm-hmm. and sit down. Sit down and then I will understand that you are consenting to wine, that you would like some wine poured in your glass. If you didn't, you just wouldn't approach the wine glass. Versus I've paid you $20 every time you've moved towards a wine glass. It's not exactly the same, but it's Or kind versus of a, you come into the kitchen with an empty wine glass and sh- shoving it in my face saying, where's the wine? Don't we all want to have wine? Shouldn't I mean, we all have wine? Yes. So it's me sliding that wine glass across the counter versus you coming into the kitchen saying, fill this glass. Or else... Do you have wine? Would you like to drink wine? Yeah. Hopefully that is helpful, Christine. Yeah, it could be more confusing now. The difference is... It's subtle. Who's asking the question? It, the difference is who's asking the question. I think you're right. And then I think the last one we'll answer will be uh, Laurel Brunke. Hello, Laurel. I think you've asked us a couple of times to talk about the difference between reinforcement and reward. And it's just a semantic difference. A reinforcer or reinforcement changes behavior. It increases behavior. Anything that's a reinforcer increases behavior. A reward, by definition, doesn't have any impact on behavior, whereas reinforcer does. The best example that I know of is that you go to work every day for your paycheck. Your paycheck is the reinforcement for work. If your boss gives you a bonus twice a year so maybe a christmas bonus and maybe a summer bonus or maybe even just one bonus the bonus is nice makes you feel good about your boss and your workplace 
but it doesn't have an impact on whether you show up every day for the rest of the year. And in fact, the reward, the bonus, could be insulting and yucky. It could be a $25 Starbucks gift card. It could be a pat on the back. It could be a certificate that says, great job this year. Employee of the month. Yeah, employee of the month. And then it's still a reward. It's still classified that way. But now it has yucky feelings attached. So a reward is just, just as a word, it just defines something that's different than reinforcer or reinforcement. Reinforcement changes behavior. Reward may or may not. I think the really important thing to keep in mind is like, we just automatically associate a reward as a positive thing just because of our language. Mm-hmm. So we think reward Semantics, is always something yeah. you want. Yep. But reinforcement doesn't actually have to qualify, quantify in our minds as positive. That's absolutely right. Because negative reinforcement increases behavior just as effectively as positive reinforcement. Right. Reinforcement isn't just food. No. So reinforcement is probably more complex, could be classified as a lot of different things. But in the end, it has an effect on behavior. It increases behavior, and that's why it's defined as a reinforcement, right? Yep. So you guys keep asking those questions on the CogDog Radio Facebook page. If anything we said today produced more questions for you, (laughs) just post them. And we'll get to them. And thanks for listening. Wait. Wait. And to close it on out, I'm going to ask Casey to talk about her new program because I'm excited about it. I'm going to be the first subscriber. So try to be the second, third, fourth (laughs) subscriber for her new program. Take it away. Well, since I had such a great uh response from all of the reactivity based information that i've been putting out on social media i've decided to open an online subscription service called real life reactivity that's by inspiration canine and it's going to be a six month subscription where you're going to get access to password protected blogs once a week and one assignment per week to help you guys start working on introducing your reactive dog back into society so we're gonna have a blog and an assignment a week and then we're going to have some live facebook coaching calls on facebook live and we're gonna have a private group that is for all of you guys to uh, work with each other on all the material i think it's really needed I think people need this service. It's going to be fun. So I think it's going to be a great time. And you guys, um, we will share the links for sign up for this on CogDog Radio, but you can also go ahead and like Inspiration K9 on Facebook. The uh, registration will be open by the time you're hearing this. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cogdog Radio Facebook page, and until next time, happy training!